Hello and welcome to another episode of That Blind Lads podcast and a brand new episode of Journeys. Today, my guest is Aaron Fitz. Aaron, how are you doing? Yeah, very well. Thank you, Jamie. Very well. How's your day going? Yeah, it's uh, yeah, standard. Nothing new. <laughs> been, a, been a college student, kind of all falls into, all merges together, I think. I don't know if you can relate to that as, as, a, as a foreign Paralympian or Paralympian, but just kind of feel you're doing the same thing every day but you're doing something if that makes sense absolutely so with all my guests i like to kind of take it back how far you feel is necessary um, and how in, in a way that you think gives the best image of yourself to myself and the listeners so, so yeah this, the stage is yours yeah, okay. Well, I guess the most obvious point in my life was when I when I first became disabled. I'll tell you what, I'll give you three options and you can choose. We can talk about the Paralympics I've just been to, which went quite well. I can talk about the time that I thought it was a good idea to try and climb up a mountain in a wheelchair. Or I can talk about how I actually became disabled in the first place. Go on, you tell me which one you want to start with and we'll go from there. Could have been greedy and say all, all, all three. Was that was that four or three? Nah, you are, yeah, but we've got, to start, we've got to start somewhere. Go on, you've got to pick. I'll put you on the spot. <laughs> all right, then. From from becoming disabled, then we'll, we'll start there. Yeah, okay, yeah. Well, that's the logical one. That's <laughs> that's the longest one, longest time ago. Yeah. So I contracted uh, meningitis when I was fifteen. So I it was the first day back to school after the Christmas holidays in nineteen ninety nine. I got home from school and said I didn't feel very well to my parents. And up to that point, I lived like normal. Um, Two point four children, family, or my mum and dad, and my little sister, and. Uh, it, it was January, so there was loads of flu around, so we didn't really think anything of it. And uh, I went up and got into bed, and I had a fever, and I got up and I vomited twice in the night. And my dad woke me up in the morning to see how I was, and I said I didn't feel great. And I got up to go to the toilet, and I collapsed on the landing. And my dad heard me fall down, so he scooped me up and put me on my parents' bed. And my mum saw a rash appearing on my chest. So she did the glass test and the rash didn't disappear. So she called out a doctor who called out an ambulance. So from my very first symptoms to life support machine was 12 hours. And from the rash appearing was just um, just one hour. Um, and, you know, everything was flipped on its head very quickly. So I had acute respiratory and renal failure from meningococcal septicemia. So I had meningitis type C and everything shut down except my heart. I don't think I've appreciate what my parents went through until I had my own children, to be honest with you. But um, it's a bit more complicated than this. But basically, I didn't get enough blood to the ends of my legs and the tips of my fingers. And um, as a result, I became a bilateral baloney amputee. Uh, so that, that's, that's something you can, obviously, they said no one can prepare for, even though after it's all kind of not almost settled, but. Yeah, what what did you even know? What was your kind of view then once you kind of came around to things in hospital and realized what was gonna happen? What what did you kind of see the future holding? Yeah, it was um it was a really difficult time. I was in hospital for a year. So I went in in January and I didn't come out until December. So the first uh for the first few months I still had my legs and but then they were gonna have to be amputated. So that was that was that was really difficult, you know, and you couldn't really move forwards until they were. But the weird thing is, Jamie, it was the worst and best thing that ever happened to me in one foul swoop. Worst for obvious reasons, it was best because it instantly gave me a completely different outlook on life and a drive that I've never had before. 
I think before I was poorly, I was making pretty negative choices. I don't really know what route my life would have gone down. And then um, it just gave me this perspective um, instantly and kind of just made me take opportunities, really. Um, I thought I was okay with it. Probably wasn't, to be honest with you. It took me a long time, really, to get my head around it. But I um, but yeah, it was um, it was it was a year, and it was it was really tough, you know, a lot of adjustments, coming home and living in the lounge and stuff like that, you know, eventually, and because we lived in a house, you know, and um, taking a while to get my room adapted so I could move back in properly and have my own space and everything. So it was yeah, it was a difficult time, tough for my little sister as well, I think. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, and what was when you kind of finally, like you said became you got your bedroom and actually say you could get things back to quote unquote normal or as least as normal as they could be what was 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 sports immediately your thing or was it kind of dipping your toes into not, not quite literally but dipping your toes into things where you see what's what's what now you're uh, you know, a disabled person <laughs> yeah pun intended on toes there yeah um we um <laughs> yeah yeah only you can get away with that <laughs> um we no it was uh to start with i really wasn't i didn't know anyone else who was disabled and i had a really good bunch of friends and we just got on with it in that you know i'd go off in my wheelchair and we thought it was completely normal just to chuck we go on coaches and go off to different things and they just like give me a piggyback and throw me on the coach and off we'd go to parties and stuff and um that just seemed normal i didn't know anyone else who was disabled i didn't really know much about disabled sport one time I went down and tried wheelchair basketball in an everyday wheelchair. I thought, oh, I'll go and try this wheelchair basketball thing. And um, I just thought, oh, this is awful. So I played basketball before I was poorly. It wasn't the same. Um, um, and it just kind of felt like it took the creativity out of it because I couldn't jump, couldn't spin, couldn't, you know, do the things that I could before. So I kind of put it to one side, really. And, and to be honest, I just fell into sport because I agreed to things I shouldn't agree to. And I wanted to raise some money for the Meningitis Research Foundation that helped me out when I'd been poorly. And I entered the 10K race um, just by chance, just because I wanted to raise some money for charity. And that's really how my journey into sport started. And that was that just doing multiple sports or purely you did running and was like, okay, I can do that. What else can I do kind of thing that I enjoy? No, well, yeah, to start with, it was just racing. So I was doing it in a wheelchair because I've got prosthetic legs, but I've got bad scars, so I can't walk very much. Yeah. And I did I did a 10K race, enjoyed it, decided I wanted to do more races, got a second-hand racing wheelchair, entered the London Marathon. And here's the thing, it takes most people years to get into the marathon. You're applying year after year after year after year in the ballot, not if you're in a wheelchair. So I got accepted first time, which is pretty cool. <laughs> and, um, and, yeah, did it uh half around my chair broke which was great fun so a strap broke underneath the seat and if you've seen a racing wheelchair you know that you're curled up in a little ball they're they're designed for performance yeah. not for comfort so because it broke i was getting horrendous cramp in my backside but i managed to finish it and that was great and then i got i was really lucky my local community raised me some money and i got my own wheelchair and i started entering more and more races and i did the london marathon again first time i did it in two and a half hours Second time, one hour fifty nine minutes. That's a that's a pretty good improvement. I suppose is that was that like the catalyst for you to then just uh, kind of I don't know what the right word is, but just to take sport all together and just feel like yeah, this is it. I, I, I this is what I enjoy, and it's, it's more than just kind of taking part 
you know, it's a cheesy kind of uh, cliche, but more than just taking part, they actually sport this for you. I don't. I think it was probably to do with being poorly and giving me this drive that I'd never had before. And I'm not very good at quitting things. And if I'm in, if I'm doing something, I'm doing it properly. So, uh, I mean, I probably never would have made it as a wheelchair racer. I'm, I'm, I'm just a big guy, and it, you know, physiology-wise, I'm, you know, more suited to rugby anyway. Um, so I never would have been an elite wheelchair racer. But they, and I was at the racing track championships, and this is how it started with the rugby. So um, I got chatting to a couple of guys who played it, and they were, um, yeah, racing track championships. Chatting to a couple of guys who played it, and they said, you know, you've got to come give it a go. And their eyes lit up and I kind of went, well, yeah, okay, I'll give it a go. Went away. Then I Googled it and I watched these videos on YouTube of people getting like smashed out of their wheelchair. And I went, ooh, then I want to do this one. So I went along to give it a go really nervous. And the very first session I went to got smashed out of a wheelchair. And I went, well, I want to hit you back. And it brought out a dark side of me that I didn't know I had. It turns out I love smashing people out of their wheelchair. So... Mm-hmm. it kind of escalated from there really mm, so it's one of the things where you don't know until you try it and you try it and thought i love it <laughs> just start. well that's it's, my advice to anyone out there listening yeah, go and try stuff you know people let life pass them by don't they just float through life doing the same things every day on that same cycle if you don't do anything new nothing interesting yeah. is going to happen go and try new things put yourself out there and see where it ends up i mean if you try something and you don't like it you haven't lost anything you just never go back yeah yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's that's my exact kind of outlook to have. So, so with with that, you did that that first time. You realised that that is that's my thing. Where did you take it from there? And where <laughs> yeah, you, it was. Um, where it, did you I mean, think I started, you could take it. It started. I started playing for club teams and stuff, and it started to escalate quite quickly. And um, I got headhunted by the GB team. So next thing you know, I was training with the GB squad as a development player, going off around the world to all these tournaments. And that was cool. I mean, um, I'm in quite a rare category because of my disability, but also I was really fit because of all the races I'd done. So it wasn't like I was coming in completely box fresh. Um, mm. I'd be, I'd be, I was an elite wheel, well, not an elite wheelchair racer, but I was a high level wheelchair racer anyway. So, you know, I was used to pushing myself. And that was probably, I, I wouldn't have been selected for London 2012 if it wasn't for that. So uh, we were three years out from the games when I kind of started and got serious with it. And they said, you know, you've got the opportunity maybe to go to the Paralympics if you work your backside off. But, you know, it was never going to be that simple. I um, got no. a little bit of funding from my sport, but it wasn't going to pay my bills. I had a job. I was married and a mortgage. So I, um, I had to work a full-time job around my, my sport as well, which was, um, which was loads of fun. <laughs> Lots of 4am starts, getting to the gym for daft times in the morning and, um, you know, training to complete failure. Was that so being amongst in disabled sport? Was that the first time you'd ever spent a considerable amount of time with disabled people in general as well? Yeah, well, yeah, I suppose so. Um, I mean, it's strange, you, yeah, I think, well, yeah, it was, it was, and I was quite humbled by it because there's lots of people who are much more disabled than I am just getting on cracking on with their lives, to be honest. So that was, um, that was an eye-opener for me, really, and maybe a bit humbling to think that, all right, I don't know anyone who's disabled. I thought I was quite disabled, but actually, in the grand scheme of things, am I really? I'm not sure. Um, but it's like any walk of life, isn't it? Like a lot of my friends use wheelchairs, but 
they'd still be my friends if they used a wheelchair they walked it doesn't really make a difference circumstances brought us together but it's they're still my friends whether they're you know disabled or not disabled i suppose yeah definitely so you join the gb team things are escalating quickly and you do get to the the home games which i suppose if you could pick uh a, a paralympic games to be your first you, you know the home games would be a that one you'd choose i suppose wouldn't it yeah it would but i don't like to talk about it too much because we came fifth and you don't want to come fifth if you're an elite athlete you know you want to come first or you want to bottom out you don't want to come fifth that's rubbish so um you know they say it's all about taking part don't listen to anyone who tells you that um you know we were there to win but <laughs> it was never going to happen we were too much of a fresh squad and it was um it was but it was an unbelievable experience i mean if we're talking about disability probably changed perceptions of disability in my opinion in the uk forever i think we live in one of the most inclusive countries in the entire world now and a lot of that is down to the paralympics in london and that movement and what happened at that time you know two major things happened we nearly sold out the entire event which was huge um that gave it massive credibility and the second amazing thing was channel four winning the rights and like you know, starting programs like The Last Leg and they've got hip hop music playing in adverts and car crashes and explosions. And that was really exciting to be part of. I mean, our jaws hit the floor the first time we saw the Superhumans advert as a team. We went, what? Like, we'd never seen anything like this before. And it's just snowballed from there, really. We take it for granted now, but it's not like this around the world where I travel, you know, with my sport. No. no I was speaking to um, uh, Chris Whitaker, if you heard yep. of him, he works with works with a lot of um, Paralympic athletes and he says a similar thing about the 2012 games is it it did something in this country, especially where it just, like you said, changed people's perceptions and just, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't think it's spoken about enough about what it actually did just purely just because of the, the attention that it got and the fact that it was the home game just did something to most of the population. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like still stuck. I think it's yeah. I think it's probably something you don't talk about because it became so normal, didn't it? We and we mm. take it for granted now, which is not a bad thing. It's the way you should be, but if you actually consider where we were before and where we are now, you know there was there was a massive shift. You know, we're still a shining example around the world of of how you can do things, really. So yeah, it, yeah, and it was it was really really cool to be part of, and still watching that escalate now is just brilliant. Imagine, yeah, just the atmosphere that was around, even just like outside of London, where you know nothing was taking place, was like, yeah, something, something special. So yeah, it was cool. Coming like, like you said, you you didn't do as well as you wanted at the 2012 Paralympics, but also you was, you know, like you said, also a fresh, fresh squad. So what what was was then your immediate sights set on World slash European Championships, and then the 2016 Games in in brazil or was it kind of smaller steps than that i didn't compete in in um rio so i i stepped down from playing wheelchair rugby after london i did it rolling around the wrong way married mortgage elite athlete which didn't really work <laughs> so i took i took a break <laughs> i took a break from playing rugby um uh which was difficult but i just couldn't keep doing it and working so um you know i, I had to step away for my mental health for my family and you know for everything else for a lot of reasons and that that but that's when i did Killy. so um that started as a charity challenge um 
I was going to just try and other people have been up Kilimanjaro in a wheelchair, but they've been carried. I didn't want to get carried. Mm. So we, we set this goal to try and become the first person in the world to get to the top of Kili in a wheelchair without any assistance. Yeah, <laughs> that's a, I like how you, you chose not to be an elite athlete, but instead you, you choose to climb Mount Kilimanjaro as, like, as if that's like a, you know, a lesser or easier, easier task. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get your point. I haven't thought of it when I said it yeah. like that, but yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying, I suppose. Yeah, no, I just seemed, I mean, it was just a charity challenge that seemed like a good idea, but it yeah. was, yeah, it, it all escalated again and turned out a bit bonkers. Yes. Yeah, so what what was that process? Like? I suppose that's one of the things where you you do all the training for it and prepare yourself as much as you can. But the minute you're stepping at the the foot of the mountain, over there, if you've got that, it's it's a whole new board game and all your challenge. You know, preparation goes out the window. I'd imagine. Well, it did for us. So we um yeah we wanted to. Be, I got a, a special adapted wheelchair called a mountain trike. Some people, if they're listening, might have heard of that. So it's like an off-road wheelchair, big chunky tires. I should explain, I'm an amputee, but I've got bad scars. So if I walk too much, my legs get sore. So that's why I never would have been able to walk up the mountain. I was going to have to try and do it in a wheelchair. So we set off on the side of the mountain. It takes most able-bodied people six days to get to the top. We set off. Um, day one was meant to take between two and three hours, took six hours. Day two was meant to take between um, four and five hours, took 10 hours. And at that point, they said they were going to have to carry me. Right. What what was your your kind of opinion then when, when they said that? <laughs> I'm not going to swear, but um, I wasn't very polite about saying that's not happening in no uncertain terms. <laughs> so um, you can imagine I was very tired and stressed. So I went, yeah, no, that's not happening, as you can imagine. And we had like we had a full blown argument on the side of a mountain in Tanzania and we nearly had a punch up because all the guides were saying we've got to carry. And I was going, no, you're not. No, you're not. And we're going back and forth. But um, I had something with me. I didn't have my prosthetic legs, but I had a set of gel knee pads with me. You know, you, just normal knee pads you can buy from B&Q. And I had a really technical piece of mountaineering equipment with me called duct tape. So I duct taped my knee pads to my legs. I jumped out of my wheelchair and um, I crawled on my hands and knees for four days to get to the top. Good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can imagine that's if you were, it's tired after those first two days of being on your, your mountain trike after those four days that must have been something else and especially you have to hold a kind of change your whole game i suppose don't you that you you, was, you didn't prepare to quite like prepare to be on on your trike so what was yeah, that that's like? it eight months of training in a wheelchair and i ended up crawling for four days and the stupid thing was was things like <laughs> you know if i knew i was going to have to crawl i'd have made special knee pads and things you know so i was basically we just did it by like the skin of our teeth, really. We got to the top. It was, um, you know, like the, the knee pads just about held out. My skin just about held out. I mean, it was breaking down. It was horrendous, but it wasn't, it wasn't terrible, terrible, you know, stuff like that. Um, mm. And it was just sheer luck in me. And it's really funny, like this roll of duct tape becomes like the most valuable thing in the world, which you can't get any more. And you're like, you're thinking, oh my mm. gosh, how much have we got? Don't leave the duct tape behind and stuff like that. So it was... um. Yeah, but to be honest with you, I just um, I just thought I'm not going to get carried. I'm not for getting carried up this mountain. No way. I'm never going to be the end of it. That wasn't, and it wasn't until I got home and I spoke to people, and they went, "How did it go?" And I said, "Well, I wasn't up for getting carried, so I crawled." And they went, "What do you mean you crawled?" And I say, "Well, I wasn't up for getting carried, so I just crawled." And they go, "What?" 
And that's kind of when the penny dropped of what I'd actually mm. achieved. So yeah, it becomes a whole new thing, I suppose, and it's so that's it's one thing climbing up when you're an able body person, but crawling. So yeah. Is it was it six days you got it done in, was it then? Yeah, six and a half. Six? So six days six. and then because we did it overnight on the um the last night, the final night to get to the top. So um we didn't arrive at the summit till half ten the following morning. So you set you set off at midnight basically because the altitude mm. and um the air is thin, etc. So that you um yeah, you set off at midnight. Um basically if you collapse as soon as the sun comes up at half four in the morning, they can whack you on a stretcher and evacuate you off the mountain, which is why you do it at midnight. So we um yeah, you, you're going through the middle of the night. That's the hardest thing I've ever done that night. Ten hours of hell. <laughs> but we got that. Yeah, you got that. That's, 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 that kind of shows off your character, I suppose, that, you know, this whole, you're not carrying me thing, which I can completely understand. It's like, you know, someone says to me, I'll, I'll guide you everywhere. It's like, no, I'd rather use a cane for bits more, yeah. more, more, if you know what I mean. So... I can I can see your you kind of view on that. So coming back, everyone was obviously like, "Are, are you okay? <laughs> How are you here?" Kind of thing. What what was kind of your view then of of what to do? Was it kind of more sports, or was it you kind of just I think yeah, I'll take some time off after that. <laughs> I'm not very good at taking time off, to be honest with you. I've always got a project on the go. Um, I think that stems from being poorly. It's, it's a blessing and a curse because I can't switch it off either. But no, I um, yeah, I, I went back to I went back to like sort of normal life, to be honest, with my family and my girls and my wife, and that that was fantastic. It was I got the opportunity to go and play wheelchair rugby again in 2017. So the the chief exec of the sport came and met with me and said, you know, do you fancy giving it another go? So me and Vicky, my wife, had some big life-changing decisions to make at home. But we kind of settled on the fact that we wanted to take my daughters, Ella and Chloe, to the Paralympics. I mean, of course, I'm competitive. I'm an athlete. I want to win. But that was really why I went back, because I wanted to take my girls to a game. I thought, how cool would it be? You know, I was in a very privileged position. How many people get the CEO of a sport turning up and saying, do you fancy give it another crack of the whip? You know, there's some people who train their entire yeah. life and aren't selected. So... I was, um, you know, I was in a fortunate position there and I, I don't take that responsibility lightly. You know, that was, that was really, really lucky. So I decided to go back and start training mm. again. And the fact that who was this virtue, did that add an extra layer to it, do you think? The what, sorry? The fact that who, the, the CEO of that particular sport came to you, the fact that it was him, did that add an extra layer and maybe change, you know, push you a bit more than if just an, another person came to you kind of thing? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Um, I see what you're saying. I guess so. Because I think people have contacted me over the years and said, what are you up to? Do you fancy giving it a go? But, you know, you know, he came he came back and, um, you know, and spoke to me. And um, his, his name's David Pond, actually. I get on with him really well. He's, he's a good guy. And, uh, yeah, uh, I, I suppose he was a big driving force in me going back and, um, you know, supported me and believed in me and, <laughs> it were paid off in the end but but yes yeah, so i went i went back mm. in uh in, in 2017 and um uh yeah to start with everything was normal i was back training at the university on the treadmill uh hundred pound treadmill that i train on i was back we were going off to tournaments and beating other teams as a squad you know everything was going great everything was going great and then um we'd rolled around to that year do you remember 2020 2020 yeah that's that year Ring any bells? 
yeah, wasn't that the same, the that the uh, the Paralympics in Tokyo was meant to happen? <laughs> yeah, it was when it was meant to happen. Yeah. yeah. So you know, you know, obviously the elephant in the room was um, uh, everything went wrong very quickly. I remember sitting in a meeting with with David. Actually, we um we were at a tournament in February, and David he often comes and chats to us at tournaments when we're all together, and we're saying, you know, there's a chance you're not going to be going to the test event because of this new new illness you know, that's happening. And we were like, nah, the test event won't get cancelled and the test event got cancelled and then it snowballed and the entire event got cancelled. And, you know, that was, that was, that was tough. It was quite late as well, wasn't it? Was it like, was it March, April time that they finally made a final decision on cancelling the Paralympics and, and the Olympics altogether? Yeah, I think so. Because it was the Olympics and not long after it was the Paras, wasn't it? I think they, they were obviously yeah to wait as long as possible so they could see if they could put it on because you know cancelling the biggest sporting event in the world <laughs> is quite a big deal yeah. so i think they were um they were obviously trying to see if they could you know s- sort out the situation which as we all know didn't happen did it but yeah. and i get look i'll just just make a point for everyone listening is that i know i'm just talking about sport here like if you've lost loved ones in the pandemic look this is completely insignificant but one of the toughest things for me was my family wasn't going to be able to come and support me. Um, you know, as soon as it got cancelled, we knew there was probably not going to be any spectators at the games. And that was really tough because I'd gone back because I wanted to take my girls. Yeah. What was obviously then going through that whole 2020, most of it in permanent lockdown? How was that for you in terms of on your, you know, your sports side? And did you manage to maintain some sort of, fitness which is kind of was it a challenge uh, yeah i managed to keep um I t- it was again it was bittersweet so there was it was tough at first like um the day before lockdown happened i'm sorry if you can hear that through my microphone my girls are jumping on trampoline outside right. so i'm um, sorry if everyone can hear that um <laughs> uh, it was it was just peculiar i mean the day before lockdown happened we threw a rowing machine in the back of my car at the university borrowed a couple of massive dumbbells which i got home and realized I couldn't do anything with because didn't have a, like, a good enough spot to be able to pass them to me um and it was just it was just tough at first because none of us knew either did we it was that stress that went with it as well um but I've, i'm really fortunate i've got hand bike so i was going out on my hand bike and doing uh half marathon wednesdays full marathon sundays for a little while just to keep myself busy um that was quite yeah. good and the roads were dead it was brilliant one day I went down the main road to um place near where I live. Like, you could never do that normally. I, I think I did it on a bank holiday. I think four cars went past me. It was brilliant. Like, um, from that aspect. Um, and then I started training with my trainer. Um, when you remember when football went back way back when we were allowed to go back at that yeah, point, yeah. elite sport could go back and train. So I'd meet my trainer at the sports center in Southampton and we'd push up and down the path and we'd train and and did the best that we could really. Mm. Yeah, that, um, what's, I wonder what the uh, the people in those cars thought when they just drove past you in, in, on the main road, thinking, "Did did, did we just see what we thought we just saw?" <laughs> yeah, what's that? What's that not doing? Why is he going down the middle of a main road on a hand bike? But it was just because it was um circumstances. No one around it was brilliant. Yeah, well, yeah, you you make a, make the most of what you've got, and at that point, you had an entire main road. <laughs> so going, come we're coming into twenty twenty one and things well slightly improve and eventually the, the, the games do happen 
what was was that for you and how how did that go about well, obviously with still covid still kind of lingering as it is yeah it, it was and it was um it was peculiar not obviously having the crowds there it was it was the best of a bad situation you know you felt bad for japan as a nation because they obviously weren't going to get the games experience that they they should have had and, and deserved because they put so much into it um uh but the way they did it under the circumstances was bloody unreal to be honest with you um you know it was it was not great but that's because of what was going on but the fact that they actually made it happen was amazing does that make sense so it was um it was it was weird like and, and i'm used to sometimes like you don't play in front of a lot of people like some tournaments you go to uh you know you've got big crowds and you're used to it but if you're playing a league day and you've got the first game in the morning um uh, you you know some few people's mum and dad's there and you know a few family members apart from that there's no one there you know so sometimes we play in front of tiny crowd anyway so that wasn't the weirdest thing the most stressful thing was the the covid and the fact that if you caught it you were out the games so there was like this invisible like problem that you could do nothing about apart from be as careful as you can but you could have still caught it you know um so you're trying to do everything in your power it's like almost bathing in anti-back gel you know um to not get it but there was still that thing that you just could i mean wheelchair basketball i think their coach tested positive like a few days before they were due to leave so they got out there late didn't have a coach with them and stuff so we were quite fortunate one of our coaches rob uh tar he didn't make it out unfortunately because he got covid and he was still testing too high so he wasn't able to come so it's just it was that added element of stress that was was difficult and like i said the fact that it's invisible is he's you just don't know day by day. You having to just literally take it day by day. I'd imagine. Yeah, and as an athlete, you try and have processes for everything, don't you? You try and you try and have processes and um, coping strategies for every eventuality and situation as the best that you can, so you're best prepared that you can be. But with this, there was nothing you could do apart from the yeah. obvious stuff, you know. So, and even doing all that, you still might have gone wrong, you know. I mean, there's always that thing that you could turn up, you might have a hundred meter final and then that day you're poorly, you know, you've got a tummy bug or something and there's not really much you can do. It happens, doesn't it? But it's, it's quite rare with this. It didn't feel rare. People dropping like flies. Yeah. Literally. Well, yeah. So coming to the games, yeah, like you said, at the start, you yeah, ended up doing pretty, pretty well. How was that whole experience, even though it couldn't have, you know, obviously been the full spectacle that it was hoping to be? Yeah, it was good. Our first game was against Canada. That was always going to be a sticky game. Um, Canada are a really good squad, but we beat Canada. Uh, second game, New Zealand. Um, they had some few changes over the last few years, not as strong as they have been. So we were quite confident going into that. We beat New Zealand. Last group game was always going to be a tough one. That was against America. And they beat us last group game. And I remember ringing Vicky at home, my wife, and saying, look, I don't know how this is going to go, Vicks. Next game, we've got to play Japan, current world champions. You know, I'm yeah. going to do my best, but I really don't know how this is going to go. We haven't beaten them in eight years. And she was like, okay. But we went into the game against Japan and and um, we it all came together at the right time and we beat Japan. At one point, we were up by 10 points. It was it was phenomenal. And then because we beat them, like we were through to the final. And now this was like something out of a fairy tale. You know, we weren't meant to be in this position. If we lost the final, we were still guaranteed the silver medal. So in some ways it felt like the pressure was off because we'd done it, you know. Uh, I'd have been happy with a bronze medal, you know, and I'm now in the gold medal match. Um, and this was, yeah, this was phenomenal. And we went into that game 
Um, but on the flip side, sorry, yeah, just before we talk about the game, on the flip side, the pressure was so immense. I could have ran away with my silver medal. They said, right, I'm done. Thanks very much. I'm taking the medal. I'm off. See you later. Um, but clearly, I was never going to quit. But again, I rung Vicky and I said, look, I don't know how this is going to go. You know, America, most solid wheelchair rugby team of all time. I'm going to do my best. But I don't know how it's going to go. Um, don't want the girls to be upset if we don't win. And uh, we, we pulled away in the last quarter. It was one of those games we got by a point. They got by a point. But yeah, we pulled away in the last quarter and yeah, we, we won it. So it was... um. It really was fairy tale dream come true time. First European team to win a medal in the wheelchair rugby, and we won the gold medal. First Paralympics GB team sport to, in the history of Paralympics GB to win a gold medal as well in a team sport. So that's really, really cool and very, very humbling and very proud to be able to say that. I imagine that, that was quite a surreal thing, right? You had to kind of, one of those pinch yourself kind of moments, I'd imagine. Yeah, yeah, it was um bonkers. You know, there's times in your life when you're stressed and you wake up in the middle of the night, like really stressed, worrying about stuff. Mm. It was like that, but the complete opposite. I'd wake up like, oh, yeah, we've won. Can only sleep for about three hours at a time. I'd wake up buzzing. It was it was unreal. Like the elation, it, it was phenomenal. You're one of those things where you're like, you, you wanted obviously your main goal was to have your girls there watching, but did you make sure they were watching at home and that kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, they were watching. I, like, the parties at my house got bigger and bigger, the better we did. I was a bit jealous I wasn't there, to be honest. Um, yeah, it went off here. Um, they, they started at 10 o'clock in the morning, the day of the final, and just didn't stop. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm sending videos of all of us singing on the tour bus back to the hotel. And my wife's sending me videos of all them partying in the garden and stuff. Yeah, it was just it was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And obviously, a massive shame they weren't there, especially with the result. But... You know, to be able to do that for them and and get the gold medal was um, yeah. No one can take that away from us now. We've done it. Nah. Um, was that also kind of your decision that you made? Those what would have been four years prior? Did that kind of validate your whole choice of coming back? Well, that's a good question. Um, no, I mean, <laughs> I did. We got the medal. Of course, I am. But um. I don't know. It's it's a weird one because obviously it's still a big commitment and you're away from your kids and stuff, but you get they get to do things that other children perhaps don't get to do. So it's always a kind of balancing act with that. Um I'm glad that we got the result that we that we did and, and deserved, especially after all these years of heartache, you know, it just it was our time and that was that was really good. Um but winning isn't everything, I want to say. It kind of is though at the same time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know I mean it's like it's, it's, it's probably hard to put into words kind of you know gold medal yeah but i think there's probably more to it than just winning a gold medal is everything that comes with it i suppose and what the sacrifice you have to make as well in those yeah, years yeah but at least it wasn't in vain this time because normally you make all the sacrifice and you go and then you don't get the medal but this time and you think why not bother or why have we done this or we've done everything in the, our power and it still hasn't worked what do we have to do to make this happen but for once you know what we did was for that block of time we were the best in the world at what we did no one was better than us no yeah like you said earlier no no one can no one can take that from you so coming home from from tokyo and what was your kind of stance then was that your kind of your main goal achieved or did you have more ideas or more things in your mind yeah, I've always got goals. I'm never going to stop. I'm going to try and get to Paris Paralympics if I can, because I like to take my daughters. Um, so I'm going to keep going in, in sporting terms. I'm 
getting old though i everything starts to hurt really and you've got all these young kids trying to nick your spot but i'm going to try and get to paris if i can because i want to take my girls to a games that'd be really cool but you know i play a contact sport you only have one injury away from retirement so you just have to wait and see how that goes but in terms of um, my life and what i do i work as a professional speaker so i am um, I go around and 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 deliver my my talk to people and stuff. So I'm trying to do more and more of that as well. Mm. And is that, is that obviously like usually I ask people their profession and person are they your main two or have you got kind of little ones as well that short term kind of targets? Well, sure. Oh, yeah, no, I, I I don't really. I wouldn't refer to them as targets. I've got a to do list, so I've <laughs> always got things I'm, I'm to so. Yeah, I've always got huge. I think I'm very goal driven without really having to think about it. Mm. So I have lots of things I'm trying to achieve. Um, some of them, you know, a sport, I need to get better at particular things in my sport. Some of them are more selfish, like money driven, like I need to earn more money. So I'm doing these things. But um, I've got in my mind of where I want to go. And then I just have smaller targets, which is more, I would just call it a to do list. Because if you've got targets, then are you trying to achieve them? If you've got a to do list, you're just working your way through, aren't you? Break it down, work through it. Don't overcomplicate it. Just get on with it. Yeah, I, I like that to-do list. <laughs> less pressure as well, I suppose. The to-do list tag, it feels like you kind of need to reach it. Whereas, Yeah, yeah, I think so. But it's just, um, you, you know, you can't do everything in one go, can you? So you break everything yeah. down. I've got like a, a particular things I'm working on with my talk at the moment. Uh, me and my trainer are, are coming up with, uh, so the my trainer, John, that I trained with, uh, at the you know, in the park, on the build up to the games we're coming up with a high performance talk and talking about all the things that we did um to go from you know fifth in the world to the best with no facilities and no you know but we're that's taking time because we're both busy people so um you know we're meeting and we've got working our way through it <laughs> always on our whatsapp tell, talking to each other about how we're going to be better what we're doing next and things and we meet up and we, we thrash it out and we come back bigger and better and we just kind of just striving towards that goal and it's going to be successful because we're pushing for it Mm, yeah definitely did you have any other kind of to-dos outside of sport or was you speaking be the main one um I'd, the thing is about my sport is it takes up so much of my time at the moment it's, it's kind of if you mean not like hobbies and things i think i think in the future i'd like to do more charity challenges definitely um but i can't tell you what they are at the moment just because I, i've got so much on doing my other stuff you know so it's just yeah. your circumstance really but yeah i'll always have things on Claire Croydon up Everest now no, no I got a bit obsessed with Everest I, I find that fascinating because I think about how hard it was to get to just below 6,000 meters and to push on for another 2,800 meters above that I mean that's on Everest it only starts to get interesting after the height of Killy to be honest with you you know that's when <laughs> when the real work starts so it's um I think about how delirious and dizzy and hard I found that to then think that you're nowhere even near where you need to get to is bonkers. So no, um, that's one step too far for me. I think, you know, people with all their limbs drop dead. Um, so yeah. I don't I don't want to do it enough to risk my life and not be around for my family, to be honest. Yeah, which is, is fair enough. It's, I think it takes... A, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it, takes, it takes a special type of nutcase, I think, to do Everest, in it? It's like... Well, I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd say it takes a special kind of nutcase to climb any mountain. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I but I think there's levels of risk, isn't there? There's levels of risk. I mean, I everything yeah. you do always has something, but I think that'd be one step too far for me. Mm. So come to the end of it now, you've, you know, like I said, you just kind of just get on with sport and hope to get to the 2024, 2024 games in, in Paris, which 
would be, it'd be, I don't know, it'd be, uh, be interesting to see what it'd be like purely because, well, hopefully there'll be, uh, there'll be actual spectators there and it will kind of be the first big thing, I suppose, other than say the Euros in the Football and World Cup, there isn't really any of the kind of sport events on that kind of level, is there, leading up to that? No, I guess you're right. I hadn't thought of it like that. You make a good point. Yeah. So I think that'll be um it'll be big and it'll be very special. I think um once the European Championships in France beginning of this year and the big, big crowds for the Euro. So I think, you know, when you ramp up another level for the Paris, it's gonna be through the roof. Um good year um geographically as well, that it's so close. Um for mm. from like a performance point of view, that's quite helpful, really. No time difference, not having to get there and get over your you know, only yeah. kind of the weather's similarish and stuff. So, you know, things like that do make it easier from a performance perspective as well. Just jump on a plane, you'll be there in an hour kind of thing, isn't it? That's... Well, exactly, go on the Eurostar or whatever. It doesn't, yeah, it's, um, I don't know how we'll go. I mean, to be honest, yeah, we would probably send our kit um, separately and, you know, to dr- be driven over, less chance mm-hmm. of anything getting broken on the plane, et cetera. So, yeah, mm-hmm. that, that, things like that make it logistically easier. Yeah, definitely. So, with all the guests, I kind of like to put them on the spot and kind of ask them what the message would be to either a younger person who is disabled and wanting to get into the same kind of industry or whatever it is that you are, or if any, if it's easier, a message you would have gave to your younger self. So you can take your pick. <laughs> All either right. of them. I'm going to steal your thing. I'm going to do both. Okay. From earlier on. <laughs> All right. So if, to go back to my younger self, I'd love to just go back and go, do you know what, mate? Because I was that scared 15 year old going for all that and to say, you know what, it works out all right in the end. Don't panic. Mm. Would be great just to pat him on the back sort of thing and say, don't worry about it. This is horrendous, but there is, you'll come out the other side. But I think, I think I've got probably lots of different bits of advice I'd give. I think the theme of this one perhaps has been about taking opportunities. So maybe disabled you know alien from space black white green doesn't matter you know what i mean just take opportunities and make positive choices like you know you you make your own luck i think whether you're disabled or not like i i meet disabled people along my journey and it, it kind of their disability just like swamps them and controls them like don't let it do that you know i i look at it as the worst and best thing that ever happened to me uh, worst for obvious reasons best because it gave me this completely different outlook on life you know, I, I still make my own luck. You know, this hasn't all been handed me on a plate. I've worked, I've worked hard to where I get to, got to. And in some ways, I think it's an opportunity because, you know, if you've got a disability, you know, you're a bit different to everybody else. You stand out. So I personally would just play on that and, you know, use that to your advantage, really. Don't think it, see it as a negative, see it as a positive, um, which may be easy for me to say as an amputee, not struggling as much as, you know, some of my teammates stuck in a chair all the time. I don't know. Maybe I'm being too flippant with it, but you know, if you can twist it round and you can look at the positive of what you're going through, then it's going to be easier, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly how I kind of look at it. Is I think that's there's a few ways, like I said, to look at it, but like it's probably the the most effective thing is because if, if you get yourself all down about it, then you're only going to end up slipping and sliding down the wrong road, I suppose. Yeah, and it's funny because I meet um I meet able-bodied people that probably are more disabled than me because of their attitude towards life and things. You know, it kind of you know, I think I think I'm probably more able as a disabled person than I am than some able-bodied people. Does that make sense? Just because of yeah. my attitude towards things. So 
you know, go for it. See, we end up, take opportunities, try things. Like with me, with wheelchair rugby, I went on, gave it a go, didn't know if I was going to like it, fell in love with it. Go try stuff, put yourself out there. Um, you know, if you sit in your comfortable little bubble, nothing interesting is going to happen. And it might sound a bit brutal, but it's true. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's true. Like I said, are you watching that, from you watching that YouTube video and saying that, nah, I'd rather not get bashed down with wheelchair <laughs> all the way to winning gold at the Paralympics. Yeah, and smashing That's, people out of the wheelchair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I want a YouTube video people watching me going, I'm not doing that now. <laughs> it's gone full circle. I hadn't actually thought of that. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, technically, yeah. That's 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 a that's that's a line you'd have on your on your website, surely. That's, that's something. Yeah. Well, okay. What are we going to cut with? I went from someone who watched people getting smashed out of their wheelchair and being scared to smashing people out of their wheelchair and scaring other people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And winning golds. Don't forget that one. Oh yeah, that's... winning golds. Yeah, yeah in, the, in the process. <laughs> Casually. <That's... laughs> so yeah, I mean, we've we've covered kind of from like literally were saying there from you watching the youtube video to you doing mental things and winning golds so you know what what uh where else could you go kind of thing but um yeah it's it's been a pleasure talking to you and hearing about your stories there uh, yeah i don't know if i could put myself i could i get tired going up three flights of stairs so <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if that's that's probably just a sign of my general fitness but um yeah, it's been a been a pleasure talking to you, Aaron. Um, if people want to find yourself, wherever they can uh, can find you, where where can they go? Yeah, it's easy. It's my website, AaronPhipps.com. So it's double A R O N Aaron, and uh, Phipps is P H I P P S, not Phillips Phipps. Um, yeah, just AaronPhipps.com. You can look me up there, or uh, on most socials, it's just at Aaron Phipps, and then G B W R, as in Great Britain Wheelchair Rugby. Just realized I've been saying fits, and I I think you said fits. Nah, so I, I respond to most things. No, you got to call me Phillips or Dave. You know, I'm all right. <laughs> yes, yeah, as that's yeah, that's stuff like that. But yeah, it's been a been a pleasure talking to you. I hope people have enjoyed listening just as much as I have done talking to Aaron, and we'll catch you very soon. Cheers, Jamie. Thanks. <laughs>